Welcome, everyone. My name is Josh Goldenberg. I'm the host of the Vancouver Special Podcast. This is episode two, featuring the uh, DOS Design Group, uh, featuring both my sister and my brother-in-law, Nick. Uh, welcome to my second podcast. Thank you. I'm looking forward to this. So. Excellent. All right. So your company is the DOS Design Group. So um, get, let the audience know a little bit about what your company does to begin with. Do you want to take this or should I? Okay. So uh, we're a residential design firm, part nine of building code. Uh, every professional in the industry has their own section of building code. Architects are part three, structural engineers are part four, envelope engineers are part five, etc. Building designers and residential designers are in part nine of the building code. It uh, covers all three-story and one basement building, so pretty much every house, uh, small construction as well. Um, and yeah, so we're, uh, Shira is a certified residential designer. She actually has her stamp the same way an architect has their stamp for their part of building code. Uh, Shira has for part nine of building code. Um, and yeah, we're one of the, I guess, mid to large size residential design firms. Uh, there's nine of us. Uh, and we generally, generally do about, uh, 75 to a hundred projects each year. Oh, nice. Nice. Now, one of the things that I remember you guys talked about a lot is passive houses. Now, I yes. believe there's two different types. There's passive and then there's the net zero passive, correct? Uh, it's a little bit more complicated than that, so I'll try and explain this relatively simply. Uh, passive house originally started in Canada. It was a Canadian concept uh, 35 years ago. Um, unfortunately, Canada decided not to adopt it as the building code 35 years ago. Um, and the concept was then taken to Europe uh, and turned into a whole system in Europe, and it, it's now like a standard for building code through a lot of countries in Europe, and it's now being adopted in more and more countries, so it's starting to get picked up in Canada, United States, South America, and so forth. Um, net zero, uh, just to explain that, is the Canadian version so Canada came back to it 35 years later 30 years later at this point uh, and decided to come up with their own version um, and they called it the the net zero standard or net zero ready depending uh, the difference in there is that although it's very similar to passive house in many ways it doesn't require quite the stringent uh, application of rules that passive house does but it's a very similar set of rules overall and net zero also has a requirement to have solar panels, uh, photovoltaic windows, or some kind of energy recovery system so that uh, the amount of energy that it puts out to light, heat, cool that house, uh, even run the day-to-day -day electronics in the house, uh, is being covered by the solar panels or whatever the energy recovery system is. Um, passive house has an option to have those panels, but it is not a requirement. For, for that, whereas net zero to actually be net zero, you have to have that function of having the solar panels or, or other recovery, uh, energy recovery devices. Does that make sense? Yes, that makes perfect sense to me. Now, what's the advantage of building a passive house versus your standard cookie cutter house out there? Like, why would I want to spend the money to do that instead of just building a normal house? Um, well, okay, there, there's several reasons. Um, the first and most common thing is your general day-to-day -day health will be improved in a passive house over a standard house. The reason for that is a passive house or net zero house 
Um, we'll have a built-in air filtration system that is much more robust than the one that is in a standard house. Uh, so they're called HRVs or heat recovery ventilators that uh, they're now required in basic houses, but the heat recovery ventilator requirements are very low in a standard house, whereas in a passive house, they're required every single room is ventilated. Every single room has fresh filtered air that comes in um, and make sure that there is a, uh, a the there's actually a building code requirement for the amount of oxygen, fresh oxygen that comes into your rooms when you're sleeping that is not currently regulated, even though it's in the building code, they don't actually regulate the requirements for that. Whereas Passive House actually has a built-in that you're required to have, and they make sure that you have the required amount of fresh oxygen uh, in every room. Does that right. make sense? Uh, yeah, that makes perfect. a lot of sense. Now, um, if I build a Passive House, do I get extra square footage? <laughs> Yeah, so that's the one everyone else is interested in, is this um, this house is more expensive to build, can be significantly larger than a standard outright construction, um, especially in the city of Vancouver. So there's different incentives depending on what you do. So a single family home and an outright application kind of starts at 60% FSR. That's the net buildable. There's very few exclusions for it, so you kind of end up close to about that for your buildable. Um, yeah, so your standard 33, 33 by 122 lot, looking at a sort of a two, uh, six percent of twenty-eight, I think. Uh, well, the minimum, the, the outright, as Shira said, there's a couple of different paths. The outright path, which is the easiest to get a permit for, would be 60% of that, so 2,400 square feet. The next tier up, uh, that it's a little bit harder to get, but it's still the regular path. 70%. Yeah, it's the 70%, so that'd be 2,800 square feet on a 4,000 square feet. Which is still standard um, bare minimum code construction for Vancouver. Yeah. Uh, the next one is you get an envelope engineer and you do a slightly, um, a slightly higher performing wall than is the minimum requirement but nowhere near as high performing as passive. It's kind of in the middle. Um, on the average lot, um, that you get about, yeah, 300 additional square feet, which can be excluded from the gross buildable um, for that extra performing wall in the envelope engineer. So now you're at 3,100 3, square foot buildable yeah. on the same lot. Okay. The, the next incentive up, is the passive slash net zero, yeah. where in a single family home, you would get 16% and in a duplex, you would get 18%. And that's 18 or 16% of the gross buildable square footage that is excluded. Uh, no, it's a, it's a net. Gross. No, net. Gross. No, they calculated on the net. Yeah. No, I was in a meeting. They were very, very I, specific I about how it was calculated off the gross. 16% of your gross is excluded from... Yes, but the, the way... It, never mind. It, it's a math. This is going to be super fun on the internet. Okay, so... <laughs> <laughs> so, your... So, man. House ends up at about 3,800 square feet? Uh, yeah, so I was just doing the rough math. At 2,800 square feet... Mm -hmm. Um, 
<laughs> and it's it's a it's a reverse mass scenario, which is why we're arguing because technically it could be calculated either way off the gross or the net uh, amount, but it roughly works out to um, one second, five hundred and fifty extra square feet on average uh, for the sixteen. Yeah, for the for a single family yeah. house, uh, and. Give me one second. It was over six, I think it was just over 600 extra square feet. I don't think it. So it makes it around 35, around 34. Basically, your exclusion keeps getting bigger. Yeah. So in a normal house, the exclusion is basically in your bay window. Um, Slightly better house, slightly thicker wall, but um, a little bit more money in the design. And you get an extra bedroom. Bigger than but you go all the way to passive, you get half a floor. Yeah, so you, you generally- Almost an entire floor if it's a character house. Well, yeah, that was the next thing. I was Which is the next thing. So that we, right now we're only talking about new construction actually. Yeah, single- Character, whole another story in there. Yeah, so single family and duplex. You get a little bit more for duplex over single family, but it's, yeah, it's going to work out to about three extra bedrooms and maybe an extra bathroom. So sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and though the reason we say that is because we're saying like 550 square feet, some of that square footage goes to the thickness of your walls for insulation and, and so forth. Right. So, but after that, you have enough room for an extra three bedrooms and maybe a bathroom. Right. But then the thickness, the additional thickness and wall from the envelope engineer, um, yeah. Exclusion to the passive house exclusion is nominal. It's like extra two inches to the wall, mm-hmm. and I'll just, I get 400 more square feet to exclude than the yep. slightly cheaper option. It's almost eliminates the purpose of the one in the middle. No, you it's might true. as well I, go all out on the right or not try it all. No, and I do agree with that. For, for the amount of extra work, going to passive or a net zero is your better choice. And I just want to mention sorry, I know we're. Just oh no, this is perfectly fine. I like this. Okay. So the next thing is so that's single family and duplex that we're talking about. And passive net zero, either option, right? Um, it's about the same amount of cost either way, just to be, whether you go passive or net zero. Um, but when you go to a character house retention, that's the where it gets interesting because with the single family and the duplex, the well, pa- in character retention, there's not duplexes, there are multi-family conversions. I, they're not actually duplexes. I I know that that was I was singling out and separating okay. single family duplex from character retention. Yeah. So character retention <laughs> is interesting because you can have more suites that are sellable and stratifiable in a character retention project than you can have in a new construction project. Yeah. Plus, you're allowed an infill in the rear, which is significantly larger than a laneway house, can have up to two units in it that are stratifiable and sellable. And the garage is included from the FSR, so it's even larger than a laneway could ever be. So, this char- so yep. the character conversion then, like what's your FSR looking at now? Like, are you looking at almost like a 90%? FSR is net. So FSR, it never gets higher. Your max FSR is, is 85% on a character retention with an infill. Yeah, including, so that's the biggest thing you can build on the lot. Yeah, sorry, including the infill, yes, 85%. Yeah, and you can get about four units on a standard size lot. Three to four, yes, depending. Well, I'm, I'm just imaginary maximums. Okay. Um, but so your, it becomes a fourplex. 
Yeah, like well, threeplex in the main house and a and a um, single in the in the infill at the back of the of the property. Yeah, or maybe even two in the infill. Yeah, well, yeah. If, if you you're have, on a good place where you can justify zero parking. Yeah, which is probably coming soon. Yeah, or if you have a wider lot, it's easier yeah. to put a duplex in the in the infill at the back. Now, but what I was just going to mention is yes, sure. The FSR for the the net never gets above eighty five percent, but your gross goes up to like one hundred and twelve percent. Yeah, we're a bit over one hundred and twelve percent. So wow. just yeah, and and so what it is is the, the incentives. And the exclusions, as they call them, is compound on each other. It's yeah, amazing. yeah. You 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 start applying them, and yeah, we have one that we're getting to a one, I think one point one two, one point one four FSR, which you would understand what that means. But on so a you're thousand, building over, you're building a forty two hundred square foot house on a four thousand square foot lot, essentially. Or forty four, if I remember. Oh, hundred square foot of structure. Yeah, forty four hundred square feet, including the thousand square foot infill house at the back. Right? Which is now that at, now, are we by adding by getting this extra square footage? Are we going up extra floors, or is it just yeah. becoming a fatter building? We get an extra three feet up, of height. Uh, so and we go out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a full lot. Yeah. So what what ends up happening is you get a big rectangle on it, uh, a big rectangle on the back. So you get an extra six feet of length to your building, uh, an extra three feet, well, just over three feet of height. And you can get relaxations to three full floors now, plus the basement. So in real estate terms, four floors. Yeah. In architectural terms, three floors in a basement. Yeah. Um, Your infill gets huge, too. Yeah. And technically... And taller. Yeah. You could put a basement into your infill as well. Yeah, you absolutely can yeah. But you still need to maintain 16 feet between the two buildings. That's yep. your only limiting factor. And if you're in a character house, it might be pushed really far to the front of the lot, That's which true. you can retain for retaining the character in the front of it. And you could put a lot of stuff on that lot. Yeah. So that's like I said, we're we're doing one right now where like I said, we're hitting 112%, give or take. Um, and yeah, they, they get a very nice, large, I mean, people would think of it as a laneway house, but it's actually under the rule. Sorry. It's an infill house, not a laneway house yeah. in this case. And now it's how so, big are these infill houses though? Um, the laneway they, is typically around five, 600 square feet normally. Well, gross buildable. So a laneway will run between six and 900 square feet. Matt, well, it, it, at the but largest no, but to exist. Enfills um, max out at 2,000 FSR. But remember, you still have your exclusions. You get 16% off for building passive. Yeah. Um, yeah, you can get It to, could be as much as 2,500 square feet. Yeah, exactly. Enfills are, are where that's a full other house. Like the size of the, size of the, the front house on other lots. Yeah. That's a normal house of that size. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It is just two big houses on a lot filled with units. Yeah. Wow. So. There's a lot of opportunity, especially on wider lots. Uh, corner lots. Yeah, it's wider. Amazing for corner lots. Yeah, you can do some phenomenal things. So, or double fronting. We have a double fronting where there's just a house on either end. Yeah, and it's still one lot. Te- technically, the house at one end is classified as an infill, but it's like within twenty percent of the size of the one in the front. So, it's just now is this in any RS zoning? Uh, yeah. So any R. Yeah. Well, no, uh, not RS. Any RS. Any RS and some, some RTs, of, yeah, some of the RTs. So the RT5, it's a big one. The RT10, the RT11, 
Um, yeah, RT5 is great. You can do tons of things in it. The yeah. RS one spectacular as well. True. There's and what you can do there if you know how to max out a lot. Um, and the RMs. The RMs. There's some really good double fronting lots, corner lots, um, things yeah. where you can get two small lots and like just cover it in infill buildings. Um, the Grand View, View uh, yeah. Collingwood area is yeah. like filled with little projects like this that are amazing. Yeah. Now, with all these upgrades, you know, there were talks of, you know, I remember hearing you know, talks with you guys that gas is pretty much obsolete now. It with is. With all these new, with, if you want new permits done or, or so yeah. how does that work exactly? Do I have to just rip out all my own gas heaters and all my own gas appliances? And- it's a scale project. So the first step of this really is all new construction. Yeah. So it's not, it's not about ripping things out. It's about new construction. If you're building something new, it will have electric powered heating. Yeah. Um, okay. There's three avenues you can pick and they get more convoluted and difficult as you go. But really economically and feasibly, the answer is just go electric. Um, okay. So that, that's all new construction here forward. The other one is the scope and scale of the renovation to which you are already ripping out things. So they're not going to just come into your home and like tell you to remove your furnace. That's that's not what this is about at all. Yeah. Instead, what's going to happen is uh, if you're doing a major renovation, so for example, the character house project. um, It's getting taken down a step. Yeah. Everything's getting rebuilt and the heating system is being replaced with a heat pump system. Right, and it just goes through. And so if you're doing a major addition on your house, they're going to say, okay, well, you're doing a major addition, take, take out the furnace, hook in a heat pump and hook it into the same ductwork that they, or you can put new ductwork if you want. You don't have to use the old, but it's it's an easy to just connect it to the old ductwork and, and go in now, now you have heating and cooling in the summer, right? Yeah, everyone gets air conditioning by, by yeah. proxy of this. Heat pump. It's a good thing. Yeah. Now, does that mean, you know, the days of radiant in-floor heating is pretty much obsolete now? It isn't obsolete, but it is redundant. Yeah. Uh, so... Well, no, it's not so much redundant. So you... Your heating and cooling system has to be electric. Yes. You're allowed to retain gas for your fireplace and your cooking. Yeah. But radiant Because heat- your radiant heat... It's typically gas-based. Source of heat? No. Is it exempt? No, it is not exempt from what I understand. So, uh, but the thing is, you just hook up your radiant heat to the heat pump. They, you, they, they, oh, they, yeah. Yeah, because it's not, it's gas. So, yeah, so they, basically, as long as you use electricity to power things, anything can be hot. Yeah. So, yeah, you can totally still have radiant heat flooring. It's just a complete total waste of money. <laughs> so, there, so, I'll explain yes, that. thank you. Okay. <laughs> so, you can hook up the same radiant heat system to a heat pump or electric boiler system, right? And have that circulate your hot water through the floors and, and everything. But people use gas because it's cheap. Well, well yeah, but the, <laughs> not the thing, anymore. 
Yeah, well, exactly. Well, no, but that's why it was all built that way. At the yeah, time. and concrete's more expensive. So if you want to put a concrete topper for your radiant, like by the time you add it up, it actually costs twice as much to put in radiant heat as it does to put in a heat pump that gives you air conditioning as well, right? But everyone's all worried that their feet are going to be cold because they're all in these old houses with thermal bridging and no insulation and the floor is cold. And that's why everybody wants in-floor heating because they think it'll stop their feet from being cold. And they don't understand that the way houses are built now, we don't have thermal bridging, we have insulation your floor shouldn't be cold it can't be it's the exact same temperature as the air around it and the rest of the house yeah. so the end floor heating is no longer Irrelevant or necessary functioning because yeah. the end floor heat is only going to turn on if the room is colder than the thermostat yeah if your room is the perfect temperature why would the radiant heat turn on there's no need to heat so it's never going to turn on or do anything it's oh. it's just people spending money on things for feeling better about it. It's true. <laughs> so let me just clarify a couple of points because uh, sure is absolutely correct. Like it, it'll come on very rarely. So thermal bridging, just to explain this because it's a uh, it's an industry term, an engineering term. So most houses, um, you're, you've got your wood on the outside of the building and your framing for your floor going off and the cold is just touching. The, the outside framing, right? And the cold is transferring for it through. And every, if you were lucky... Every vector special has the joist from the inside of the house going right out to the deck. Yeah, well, they, yeah, that's, yeah that's another thing. So if, <laughs> if they're going out, hopefully they put in wood blocking so at least cold air isn't going straight through. And hopefully they pack some insulation in, the, in that floor. It's cabin. unlikely. I know. It, 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 the <laughs> it's amount Vancouver. Of, yeah, the amount of Vancouver specials and, and other houses we've seen opened up where there was no insulation in there. And that's the reason the cold is just coming right through. So If your floor is cold, your house isn't insulated. <laughs> yeah. So, or is insulated well, yeah. So that's called thermal bridging, right? Where the your, your wood members are, or whatever your framing members are, are directly... Uh, adjacent to the cold surface. Now, what nor what is happens on net zero and passive houses? Not every one of them, because there are ways around it. But the easiest way to avoid that is you just put insulation on the outside of your framing. Um, minimum is one inch, but generally most of our projects are in the three to six inches of insulation on the outside. And so your wood has now got three to six inches of insulation protecting it. So your floors are not getting cold in the first place because the wood's not getting cold, right? It's, it's, it's a well-managed system. And because of that, you're, you don't get those cold drafts coming in because the whole thing's sealed in the first place and, and there's no draft to get in. Um, so in conclusion, there's absolutely no reason to ever put heated floors into a passive house ever <laughs> it, it, it is but redundant it's, <laughs> so, unless you want them in like the bathroom where you know, get out of the shower sorry what was that josh you always know, time i see you know heated floors often sometimes in bathrooms where you know if you get out of the shower you yeah. have a nice really toasty floor yeah yeah but it still would never be toasty because well it's not cold well it, it's true but you'd have to have something that turned it like an override something that turned it on it's like that had on and off not a temperature gauge. Well, you you could yeah you you could set it on a timer. Now on that note, you can still do bathrooms with radiant heat that isn't there. They're actually electric mats, very thin. They're they're less than three eighths of an inch thick. It's uh, they go right under the tile. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 there's there's several companies that make it. They're very thin. And they go right under your tile, 
And so you're not pouring the concrete, you're not putting in the full gas powered radiated system. It's just an electrically run one that you turn on when you go into your bathroom and it's nice and toasty when you, when you step out. We're on a timer because everything's a smart timer. Yep. Google Home knows when you got up and we're going to go have a shower and turns it on for you because it's listening to everything. <laughs> it's quite possibly true too. <laughs> yeah. Now with the passive house, how much more does it cost to actually build one of these, you know, versus a standard? Like for so, the cost, cost per foot. Great question. Yes. Because here's the thing. You go and you're like, how much can I afford to build? And you read the zoning real quick and you're like, oh, 60%. All right. Well, that's 2,400 square feet. Houses cost about $300 a square foot. Well, $350. Yeah. Well, let's say $350 um, times $2,400. That's how much this house will cost to build. And they like think they're doing great. And then you're like, oh, I can build a passive house. Oh, all right. So let's say it costs $400 a square foot. That $50 square foot isn't actually the deal breaker or the problem. The problem is that now you can build a thousand more square feet. So it's not just $50 more a square foot. It's $50 more a square foot and a thousand more square feet that you're going to pay to build. So it bumps twice as much as everyone thinks it's going to when they think about, oh, it's only this much more square foot, but they forgot that it's also more square feet. Yeah. So if your standard house costs around, let's say, $1.2 million to build? Yep, that would be about safe bet. Uh, yeah, so, so your passive house now at the extra 1,000 square feet that you have, plus the extra dollars per well, foot. Well, an extra 400000 let's say. Uh, so you're now at one point six, but you get a house that's 30% larger. Yeah. <laughs> so and you can possibly sell off parts of it if it is stratified. Yeah. Well, no. Well, that depends whether it's a character in a construction. Or a duplex. Yeah. Right. Because uh, that number changes depending on how many units you're putting in, too. It's true. Yeah. Um, keep adding, add $50 a square foot every time you add a complexity or a number of units or a fire rating. Yeah. Because you got you to gotta afford more kitchens and more bathrooms and more firewalls. The, yeah. Double yeah. drywall. It, it, Every extra use at $50 a square foot. I, I wouldn't um, quite go that far, but add a bit. Um, the only re- the reason I say that is just that, um, so your three most expensive things in a house are your concrete, your kitchens, and your bathrooms, right? They, they, I was going to say labor. Well, yes, of course. <laughs> yeah, well, it's true, but like the specialist <laughs> trades to do a bathroom the, uh, the cost, I mean, it starts at about 35000 to do a three-piece bathroom now yep. uh, on average, right? And up, and it can go upwards to sixty, seventy thousand, 70000 depending on how large and how fancy a bathroom, right? And you start looking at your overall costs and you use, let's say you have three three-piece bathrooms, there's $100,000. And then a kitchen, which is a, a decent-sized kitchen is running $100,000 these days. So there's 200000 of your one point. $4 million, $1.6 million cost, right? So that's... So, I mean, with enough units and enough extra square footage, you could have like a $2 million, $2.3 million build, but you end up with six sellable units. Yeah. You'd make back your money anyways. Yeah, well, and, yeah. and that's... There's always money to be had by making more units on a place that had less units. Yeah. Uh, we did one a couple of years ago, or a year and a half ago now, that uh, duplex high performance, it wasn't quite passive, uh, or net zero, 
Uh, it could have been if, if they just got a little bit further. Um, but there was their, the developer's first uh, step into the high performance realm. Um, and they, they made very good money. They, they did everything. And they were like, you know what? With the amount of work it was to do the high performance, but not quite to the passive, next time we're going to do the passive. Uh, oh, that's like so many square feet on the table if you're not that big of a difference. Yeah, it would, it would have been another 300 square feet for them. Uh, yeah. and which that's is quite a bit. 300 square feet. What a, what a house is selling for right now, like a thousand dollars square feet or something ridiculous like that? Uh, you pretty much can't get a lot in Vancouver for less than like, you know, 1.7, 1.8. No, like if you were to buy so, a new house on a standard lot, what, how many, what, what are you paying per square foot? Well, they're paying. So it's like talking square foot a house, square foot a lot. Square foot a house. So that you can chime in on that, but I think it's you, well actually, minus the lot. So how much? No, you can't. I'm trying to compare how much you can sell more square footage for versus how much you can build square footage for. Yeah. So let's say you the lot's worth a million and a new house on the lot's worth another million. Well, so you're Josh, selling it for two. Sure. Josh yeah. So you're gonna have a hard time finding a lot for a million. He just said one point seven is the average price. So that it's for just for a basic lot. Uh so four hundred dollars a square foot for land, mm -hmm. right? Another let's say four hundred dollars a square foot for construction, mm -hmm. uh, if you're going to the net zero level, right? So now we're at eight hundred dollars. Uh, sorry, for $400 a square foot for the build, but that's different from the lot, although they're close to the same square footages. Yeah. So let's say 800 for easy numbers. Uh, so you're now at a 3.4 million, let's say for four units on a 4,000 okay. square foot lot, right? 3.4 by the time you yeah. purchase the land. That, so that's the cost. Yeah, that's the cost. And then you sell each unit for 1.2. Yeah, if, if, if it sells for $1,000 a square foot, let's say, Right, and, and correct me if I'm wrong on any of these points. I'm just throwing numbers forward. This is not my realm. This is yours. Um, but I don't know. But a thousand dollars a square foot, and for example, the one we're doing right now is forty-four hundred square feet. Yeah. Uh, so that's four point four. So there's a one million dollar profit. Cool. The math works. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, but it's one million split four ways, right? So you're only making 250 a unit, but that's still 250,000 a unit. So. And when you, but the math is, the amount of money it'll cost to build a passive house is significantly lower than the amount of money you're gonna make by having the extra thousand square feet. So it's a winner. Yeah, it is a winner. If you build a bigger house, you will make more money. Yeah. Yeah, Even yeah, yeah it seems like you know most of the uh, brand new builds. I'm just looking at the East Van right now. You know, you're looking for a stand for a standard non-passive house. Yeah. You're looking at you know anywhere from three to three point three for your standard lot. Yeah, that's what I kind of figured. So it's about a thousand bucks a square foot of house for the yeah. for yeah. So if you've got forty four hundred square feet on the lot, you can still get a thousand bucks a square foot. Even if you get slightly under a thousand bucks a square foot, you're still making a profit. Uh, like that's a lot of money for like a year and a half investment, man. Yeah. So how much money do you have to have to do that? Well, 
uh, well, the financing for that isn't in my realm, but I sure was just wondering how much money you had to have down for the financing on that. And uh, well, for, for new construction, you still need typically fifty percent, you know, down. That's what I deposit thought. Deposit for all construction because you know you need to get builder's loan and all that stuff, and that's typically still fifty percent is what they require for most banks. You need, so, you need uh, about eight hundred fifty to nine hundred thousand. No, a bit more than that. Let's say. You so, if you had a million dollars. You could buy a lot, build four units on it, sell it, yeah, and profit a million dollars. Or l- let's say profit eight hundred thousand. The reason so I you say double that, your money in two years. Yeah, theoretically, yes. I can't think of anything else you could double your money in two years in. Yeah, but eight hundred thousand dollars is a lot of money to find. Yeah, oh, yeah it definitely is. If you borrowed eight hundred thousand dollars from somewhere. What would the interest be on that? Well, and that's, that's the actual cost that, of what making that million dollars is to give you what your real profit is. Well, and that's why I was saying that let's say you had a million dollars profit, right? But yeah. it's not, you're not going to have a million dollars profit because let's say you're going to lose about 20% between your interest, your carrying charges, everything else you got to pay. So you, that's why you're walking away with 800 instead of a million. Oh, so that's already factored in there. Yeah, I already did so that perspective. It's like a license to rent money. <laughs> I, why well, are I, we not? <laughs> because we don't have eight hundred thousand dollars. But, but no, you just <laughs> borrow it. Okay, this is besides the point. We'll we'll talk about that. Is that how developers work? I want to be a developer. Uh, we'll talk about that later. Okay. Okay. So back to you, Josh. <laughs> so. Oh, no worries, Dub. Now that's still you know, the most of the question I was going to talk about today because we did cover a, a very wide range of you know passive, not you know. The yep. net zero passive and all the other stuff. Now, obviously, I would love to talk about the new city of Vancouver six house units that they just passed through this, just passed yeah. last week. Yep. But obviously, we don't know anything about that yet, as I don't think they even really know what they're, yeah. what they're designing you- yet. The way to do it is corner lot or double fronting lots. So it's four units in the bigger structure and two in the infill. Yeah, that would be. That's like, and just corner lots of double fronting lots or 50 foot wide lots. Now, the regulations haven't been made yet. The, yeah, that was like, just a wild guess, but that's how I, I would do it. I mean, it's going to go back to, uh, to city staff and city, city staff are going to come up with their recommendations to how to go forward and then that'll get approved by city council and so forth. And then you so, guys step in and try to figure out how to design what they actually want you to build. Yeah, the, the minute the wording is available to us, we will oh, start. Oh, I'm going to draw one. Yeah we'll, yeah, we'll analyze it um, and figure out how to, how to make it work. So. Yeah, because we've got like, we did that with the duplex and then we dropped a couple really awesome ones all over yeah. the city. Yeah. Which yeah, we got a code, quite a few good ones actually. Yeah, I was gonna say with some of your build, with some of the ways that you guys are doing the building, it also sounds like you're getting six units on the lot already anyway. Yes. Well. Yes. <laughs> if you include, well, no. Technically, technically four. four. You can get four units on a lot right now. But with one basement suites. Big main house, yeah. and no, not with suites. You can't mix and match suites and units in a multi-family. Yeah. conversion they're either all suites no they're either all saleable units or it's a house with a suite yeah um, so what we've been doing is saleable units and and i know this is sounds like a weird thing uh, it's a distinction in the rules it's a slightly higher building code to make them each 
separate units. And zoning. Yeah, yeah, and, and zoning too. Yes, I'm not, I'm not denying that. I'm just talking about building code wise, though. So we, you could you could split the building up into three full units. They have to have a slightly higher fire rating protection and a few other things. Um, but it's not, it's not well, like and the orientation of the windows and doors related to each other and exit paths have to be very well considered. Yeah, it's all for um, fire. But a lot of these rules don't exist for secondary suites because it falls under a different category of building code because it's a primary unit and a secondary suite accessible from the unit. Um, Unless you're in Vancouver where it can or can't be, but there's exits on both sides. Um, But units are different. Um, They each have their own mechanical system. They each have their own panel. They're they're like apartments. They're apartments inside a house without lighting each other on fire yeah which is they're really only allowed in character houses uh for converting character houses and, and you've got to take that house down to stud for it to exist yeah you have There's to completely rebuild the house but when you're done you have completely separate units that are all salient right they can all be stratified or do, uh, done as a simple stratification and sold or you can choose to rent them out uh, but for example we have one client right now that is we're building he's going to rent uh, so he's, he's putting only one unit. So it's primary unit from, for him and his family. And then a secondary, but it's still a unit in the lower floor of the house. And then one in the infill house in the back. So three units total. He is technically stratifying them all. He's, uh, but he's going but to- But the them. primary unit is not. Yeah, his primary unit for it's his family is, is like 75% of the house, right? And then the other 25% is for this rental unit and then the other rental unit in the infill. But uh, you could put four- three bedroom, four two bedroom units yeah. and a primary structure with enough square footage available of upgrade like the current duplex zoning easily. Oh yeah. Like nicely. It wouldn't be too crowded. Everyone knows how to put two units in an infill. Like yeah. this, these designs already exist. Yeah. So no anyways, where we're just going with that is it is definitely possible. We just need them to tell us what the regulations are so we can work with them. So mm-hmm. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you for coming out today. This has been the uh, second podcast of Vancouver special for all those watching. Please, please remember to like and subscribe uh, to find out more information on the uh, DOS design group. Feel free to go to the website at dosdesigngroup.com. Uh, and thank you for coming out. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you, Josh. Thank you. Have a great night.